Our first reading is from Genesis 2, 18 to 25. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whenever the man called the living creatures, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up that place with flesh. Then the Lord God made the woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why man leaves his father and mother, and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Our second reading is from Ephesians 5:21 to 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the, his, the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ is the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jonah, for giving us our readings uh, this morning. Marriage. Uh, There are probably more bad jokes about marriage than almost any other subject that we can think of. Uh, Marriage. It's not a word... It's a sentence. Marriage is an institution. And who wants to live in an institution? Marriage is like a city under siege. Everyone is either trying to get in or to get out. Marriage is the highest compliment a man can pay to a woman. And usually the last. It's even worse telling those jokes with nobody here in church pretty much to laugh at them, even if they would. Um, But the Church of England marriage service, taking its cues from both Genesis 2 and Ephesians 5, which we've heard, says this. It says, marriage is a gift of God in creation, through which husband and wife shall know the grace of God. It is given that as man and woman grow together in love and trust, they shall be united with one another in heart, body and mind as Christ is united with his bride, the church. Those are words that I have uh, stood here and at the front of other churches and said on many different occasions. And uh, every time I get to do that, I do feel a bit of a thrill, to be honest. Uh, I'm really conscious every time of what a privilege it is to be involved in something so special and so sacred. 
So it's no wonder, is it, that we make a great deal of weddings. We've seen Mr and Mrs Spoons already this morning, and it's absolutely right that we should celebrate them. Marriage is a gift of God, one of the good things that he's given to us in creation. So, of course, we get out our very best clothes uh, and we throw a big party. We gather all our friends and our family around because it's right to celebrate. It's something that transcends culture, isn't it? And uh, right around the world in different places, people celebrate in different ways. But we all celebrate when there is a wedding. Uh, We're right in the middle of our journey through the first three chapters of Genesis at the moment. Uh, This is our second week in these particular verses, uh, having seen last time that as human beings we were created for relationships, uh, whether we're married or not, and we were created male and female, the same but different, equal and in value and in worth as those made together in the image of God. Um, Today our focus is particularly on those famous verses, verses 24 and 25, this description of the coming together of the first woman and the first man in the first marriage, uh, which sets the pattern for all future marriages and lays the foundations for what the Bible says to us about marriage. Uh, These are verses which are quoted by Jesus when he speaks about marriage in the Gospels. Uh, They're quoted and alluded to by Paul in his New Testament letters, including the one that we just heard a reading from. Uh, They're verses which continue to speak into our lives and into our culture today. Uh, I want to say uh, and to acknowledge these are also verses which touch on a very personal area, aren't they, for for all of us in one way or another. Uh, I want to acknowledge that it's sensitive whoever we are, to speak about these things, Uh, whether you're married or whether you're not married, uh, whether you have been married, uh, whether you would like to be married, uh, whether your parents were married, uh, whether marriage feels like a blessing to you or not. Um, At the same time as that, I also want to say that these are beautiful verses because they point us to God's amazing and good plans in creation. And they also point us forwards to the eternal hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Uh, What does this have to say to us today? Uh, Well, broadly, it speaks to us in two main ways. Um, As the Church of England marriage service says in those famous words, first of all, it's about the relationship between a man and a woman, growing together in love and trust, united with one another in heart, body, and mind. But second, it also points us to the way that Christ is united with his bride, the church. So starting with the first of those, uh, the relationship between the woman and the man, um, these verses have several things to say to us about God's design for marriage. Uh, The first is that it is a relationship between a man and a woman. Uh, That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife. The picture is of this joining together of opposites. Uh, God has created humankind in his image as male and female. We've seen that over the last few weeks, haven't we? And here we see they're coming together in this special partnership. Now, that can be quite a countercultural thing to say, can't it? Uh, While this idea of marriage as as one man being joined to one woman is common to pretty much all cultures in human history, uh, it's a countercultural idea in a society 
uh, for example, where sometimes a man might be married to several women, perhaps even at the same time, as is true in some places. Or maybe a woman may be married to more than one husband. And of course, it's also countercultural in a society like ours, uh, which has legally redefined marriage to be between any two people, regardless of their sex. Now, this raises all kinds of questions for us, doesn't it, as Christians, uh, as uh, we think about what it means to live as Christians in a place where many people would say, well, the Bible is out of touch on this issue and, of course, on many other issues as well. Uh, we need to wrestle with those questions together. They're not easy. I want to suggest, though, that what God says is not out of touch with modern culture, even though what he says is quite often out of step. And on marriage and on many other things, the Bible is not unclear in what it says. Uh, Genesis 2 is not unclear, and this is reflected in what the Church of England says in its marriage service, as it speaks of the man being joined to his wife. Then the second thing is that joining between the man and the woman, that marriage reflects a permanent change that takes place when these two people come together. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. Uh, you may be familiar with the, with the old translation in the, in the King James Version. Uh, he leaves his father and mother, it says, and shall cleave to his wife. It's a great word, isn't it? Cleave. It's a strong word representing that permanent joining of two people together. And that idea of cleaving, of joining, of being united is right at the heart of what marriage is. That it's not just a close friendship, it's more than that. It's about a relationship that is designed to be completely intertwined, like, a, like the branches and trunk of two trees that have grown together so that you can hardly tell which is which. I guess it's worth also just recognising that that is also why marriage can sometimes be so painful and why it's particularly painful whenever a marriage comes apart, as they sometimes do. Some of us will know that very well. And of course, there are sometimes good reasons for this, uh, reasons why it may need to happen in certain circumstances. But it still hurts. Uh, and it hurts because it was not what was intended in the first place. Uh, I've never met a couple on their wedding day whose intention is that they will say their vows and get married, but that maybe it won't last more than a few years. Uh, and Genesis 2 shows us that in God's design, marriage is about cleaving. It's about this permanence, this faithfulness, which is a beautiful as well as a challenging thing. Now, this is not about making anyone feel guilty at all. I, I hope that we all fall short in the area of relationships, every single one of us, as we do in all areas of our lives. But as we've seen before in both Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, what God is giving us here is a picture of how things were designed to be in this perfect good world which he has made. Um, just quickly, by the way, I think it's also interesting how the verse expresses this. I don't know if you noticed, but it's the man who leaves his parents to go and be joined to his wife. He is the one who gives up what he had in order to give himself to something new. Uh, in some ways, this might seem surprising to many people. It's not the way we express it in our wedding services normally, is it? You know, it's it's the woman who is brought down the aisle by her father, uh, who gives her away. Um, what's that all about? 
It's a strange idea, isn't it? It's not reflected here in Genesis 2. It's not what it says here. Maybe we just assume that that's what it would say because Eve was made second. And so, you know, does she have to fit in with, with Adam who was there first? But no, that's not what it says, is it? It's the husband who leaves his parents to hold fast to his wife. And I want to say that actually this is just one of the ways in which... Uh, marriage points us to our relationship with Jesus, that it's more than just about us. And that second reading we had from Ephesians 5 explains that he is the ultimate husband in the way that he loves his people, his church, his bride. And in that relationship, it's Jesus who makes all the sacrifices, isn't it? It's Jesus who left his home in heaven in order to come and hold fast to his people, to rescue us and to be joined to us. And when Paul writes here about marriage, he says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. That's Jesus, the ultimate husband who lays down his life for his bride who he loves, his people. And that is what marriage is all about. Paul says, husbands, love your wives like this. Like Jesus, give up your lives for them, for their sake. Now, these are deep things, aren't they? Um, no wonder Paul calls them a profound mystery there in that passage. But the permanence of every marriage relationship is designed to point to the committed permanence of the relationship that we have with God in Jesus and to his determination to hold on to us for good. He will never let go even if we cannot hold on sometimes. And then the third thing, um, which uh, Genesis 2 says to us here, uh, that marriage involves, of course, is physical union. The man is united to his wife, verse 24, and they become one flesh. Um, sex is part of God's design for marriage. Uh, I think it's, it's fair to say, isn't it, that many people today... Uh, maybe even most people think that the Christian sexual ethic is weird. Uh, it's weird. Why, why restrict something good to just the context of marriage? But I want to suggest that God knows what he is doing. And even though it might be weird, it's also wonderful. Because while our culture quite often seems to be quite obsessed with sex, in many ways it's got quite a low view of sex, seen as casual um, seen as something disposable, not as something so significant. Whereas the Bible, and it just starts here with Genesis 2, of course, there's much more that we could look at and we don't have time for today. The Bible always sees sex as something special, something significant, something sacred, something that is part of that bond, that cleaving together we've spoken about, of the married couple and not to be taken lightly. It's why adultery is always seen as so serious in the Bible, uh, whether it's in the Ten Commandments or through in the Sermon on the Mount. Because when a husband or wife sleeps with someone else, they are breaking those vows, that sacred commitment that we have celebrated together at their wedding. Uh, and isn't it striking how here, right in the beginning, there is no hiding and there is no guilt. Um, in verse 25, here we have this naked couple and we're told they feel no shame because they've got nothing to feel ashamed of. This is how God has made them in his world. So that is God's good design for marriage. It's physical, it's spiritual, it's about a man and a woman uh, joined in permanent and faithful union. But finally, 
As I've mentioned once or twice already, it is also more than that, because every human marriage points us to Jesus. So it's no wonder, is it, that for Christians, marriage is such a big deal. It's about more than just two people uh, making private promises to one another. Uh, I want to say I think it's no exaggeration to say that the whole Bible is about marriage. Um, it starts with a marriage, as we've seen in Genesis chapter 2, in the creation of the world, this first man and this first woman. It finishes in the last four chapters of the book of Revelation uh, with the wedding of the Lamb. That's Jesus and his bride. That's us, his people, his church. Uh, and everything in between the two is a love story. It's the story of the God who loves his people, who he has made so much that he is determined to rescue them and to go after them when they have been unfaithful so that they can be in relationship again. Uh, when you read the Bible, uh, you'll see that his people often are unfaithful. Just try the book of Hosea for one example. And so in the end, God comes to earth himself um, as the perfect man. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus Christ. Unlike Adam, uh, he is sinless. He is just as God has designed him to be. He is faithful and he is loving and he gives his life for his bride, for the people who he loves. And his promise is that having done that, uh, we will be with him forever when he one day returns to claim his church and uh, we will never be separated. Uh, Jesus is coming back. That is the promise of the Bible. Um, what is the second coming all about? It's about him coming back to claim his bride his people, those who he has laid down his life for. And when we read the closing pages of the Bible, those last few chapters, the image that we're given of this is the picture of a wedding banquet, this wedding of the Lamb and his bride whom he loves. And I want to say you are invited to that banquet. It is the wedding reception to end all wedding receptions, better than any that we have been to. And Jesus invites every one of us to come to him and to bring our troubles and our struggles and our shame, all those things we carry, and to receive his protection and his love and his eternal faithful presence. In the end, that is what marriage is all about. Um, and I'll finish with this quote from an article I was just reading a few weeks ago from Premier Christianity magazine, which says this, all human marriages are pictures, imperfect pictures inevitably, but pictures nevertheless of the relationship between Christ and his church. Marriage, as great a blessing as it may be, is meant to point us beyond itself. In itself, marriage cannot fully satisfy us, but marriage points us to the one relationship which can. Amen.